welcome to the first episode of um, the top four. We have three of us on on tonight. So myself, Adam, uh, we've got Ted and we've got Garbs on here. Um, this is our first shot at a soccer podcast. We basically came together around the 2014 World Cup from a text thread um, of just all of us kind of talking with a bunch of other friends during the World Cup about what was going on, what we liked, and all that stuff. We all kind of um, connected over that, and we narrowed down that text thread to four of us. Um, like I said, one of us isn't here at the moment. But anyway, we decided over the last, I don't know, I mean, it's crazy that's 2014 because that's been six years now, but I don't know about you guys, so it feels like forever. But anyway, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let everyone go around the room and kind of talk about, you know, just like who they support, you know, what what, what their sort of situation is, and then we'll we'll jump into the episode. So, Brian, you want to start? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm a South Florida blue city fan. Um, moved down to Boca Raton about five years ago. Been here. Um, actually, didn't even tell you guys this. Joined the local supporters group, got the T-shirt, but haven't been to a game watch yet. <laughs> nice. So that's – but the T-shirt's yeah. pretty cool. It's a wise move on my, on my end, to be honest with you. you yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So you have the T-shirt. You have the T-shirt, but not the. You've never been to actual. Where do they hold their games at? Um, game watches at a local bar. It just like my work. Um, weekends are usually tough, but I I usually get to watch games at home, and then I head straight to practice or whatever. So it's it's I've never been able to do it, and I always tell myself going in every weekend I'm going to the game watch this weekend, and it just never happens. Yeah. So my experience. So I'm an Arsenal fan. Um. And the one here in Charlotte's kind of moved around a couple of times to different bars, but though like the fans that go to the Arsenal ones are just it's just ridiculous. Like if somebody like misplaces a pass, it's like just doom and gloom. And I mean a lot of that I feel like over the last eighteen months was because of the situation with Una and you know, that kind of turned pretty toxic. And then before that, even then when like the last two seasons of Wenger it was it was pretty bad. So I kind of just like to pull myself up and on the couch here in the house, just like yeah, watch it myself. I feel, in, I feel in general that me personally, I'm not like a bar sports watcher guy. Yeah, like um, if I'm not at a game, I prefer to watch it at home. Like I don't, I don't know why. I like to hear the volume on my TV. I like to have all that stuff, and I like the comfort of my couch, and I like my TV. But I'm not in general like a bar goer to watch a sporting event. Only if I'm loosely watching the sporting event will I do that. Otherwise, if I'm if I'm intense and it's my team playing, I like to be around myself. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. The only caveat I'd say, like, World Cup games. Oh, like World Cup, the, different story. Yeah, different yeah when, story. The, when the U.S. is playing, it's 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 awesome. So that was that's, probably that's probably some of my greatest bar experiences in my life were World Cup experiences. Oh, for sure. Like when um, when we beat Ghana, that was amazing. So this is all 20, I, 2014. And then when Dempsey scored with his dick in the second goal in Portugal, <laughs> that, that was awesome. But and dude, then the I, Portugal game was incredible. I was in Atlanta yeah. for Portugal game. And, like, even people that weren't soccer, like, it was just nutty. Like, everybody decked out in USA gear. That was probably top five bar experiences for me was that day, the day we played Portugal. Yeah, and then, like, obviously we were just – it was amazing. And then literally at the very end when Ronaldo sends in, like, a 70-yard cross and 
yeah, God, whoever that was, I can't even remember the dude's name now. He he like heads it in at the, like literally the last kick of the game, and like the whole bar just was so deflated. So it was fun. incredible. Yeah. I think we went through about thirty pitchers that day, and it was like yeah. <laughs> it was about to be the greatest moment of my sports fanhood, and then just taken from you at the end. But then yeah. you go through that justification of like, no, the draw is good, the draw is good, but like you're still on the inside dying that you almost had the win. Oh, especially because you would that last game would have been Germany, U.S. both already qualified and like no pressure. Well, meanwhile, we get Ghana, Ghana like kind of gave Portugal a scare, and like yep. we were obviously losing to Germany. So yeah, there's nerve wracking times that third game. But yeah, anyway. although a part of me on the inside thought we had a chance against Germany, and I don't know why, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, me either for sure (laughs) just just yeah they just went on to win the whole thing after that but (laughs) yeah anyway all right how about you ted uh liverpool fan i've been for far too long um and obviously uh looking at lines at the minute but uh follow follow liverpool um i've been to i believe one supporters club in atlanta um for it was a tottenham game back in probably 20 oof God knows, twenty thirteen or fourteen potentially. Um, but just work too much. So when it comes to getting up in the morning and watching something at silly o'clock, I'd rather just uh, roll downstairs and sit on the couch with a coffee and go from there. To be honest. Yeah, I think adding kids to the mix especially doesn't help for anybody, for you and I. Oh, it so. sure doesn't. <laughs> especially when you're adding a uh, adding a lockdown for it as well. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. I do that. I would. I don't, I've, I don't feel your pain, but I feel it for you. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I would give. I would give my right arm for Barclays right now. One hundred percent. Anything. Dude. Anything athletic. I think would uh, would be all right. For sure. Well. Yes. That's actually a pretty good transition. Then let's talk about the Premier League and where we stand right now. So, obviously, it's been shut down. Um, the last, I think, actual official game that I remember even being played was. Uh, was it the Atletico Madrid Liverpool game? But I think I think the Europa League played the day after some of those games. But anyway, that's football. Pretty much has been shut down since then. Um, so Premier League and basically all the leagues around Europe are trying to figure out what to do. Um, everyone's suspended at the moment. The Big Five: Bundesliga, La Liga, Serie A, Premier League, and um, the Ligue 1, the French league are all shuttered that sounds like it. I mean, they keep saying they're going to play it. No, like behind closed doors, they keep pushing the date back. I know UEFA this week or recently just came out because Belgium, I don't know if you guys saw this club Bruges basically were declared champions of Belgium. And like right after that, UEFA got pissed off and was like, you guys cannot be declaring champions if like the whole, like, because it's going to be basically, um, if you declare like a league champion without finishing a season, they're going to like kick people out of Europe and stuff like that. So I don't know. Did you guys see any bit of that? Yeah, I did see that, and I'm not surprised that UEFA makes shady decisions. But then we'll go on. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, but I I think it does have to be. We talked. We we've talked about this before in the group. It's. It's difficult because it seems like all the leagues need to work in unison, but it's so hard because each country is at a different phase of where they are with the with the virus and, and the recovery from it. Like, I think it's going to be hard to ask places in Italy to get back to playing football anytime soon. And 
Spain's dealing with a lot of things right now. And it's like, as the disease progresses, like I feel like each country is going to be on a different timeline and UEFA requiring every country to finish their league in order to be in Europe. It kind of makes it seem like if, if they go through with that, that Europe will kind of be a sham next year. Yeah. It, it sounds like what UEFA really is more like worried about is like the hodgepodge decision-making process from all the leagues where, one league does this, the other one does that. And then it just turns into even like more crazy. Like you said, like Italy probably out for a while. Spain doesn't look too good. Um, so I just don't see where like they've had issues with like, um, like talking about pushing it, like playing behind closed doors, which I think is going to have to happen if they're going to finish it all. But like they talk right. about playing it in China at some point I heard was one, which seems ridiculous to me. I don't know. I, I just think in general, the like we, we've seen it with Major League Baseball here, what they proposed. I just don't I don't see any of those scenarios playing out well, um, asking guys to leave their families and leave all their people behind and post up into a, a compound to play games behind closed doors. And then what happens next time when the next time a player tests positive, do you just shut it all down again? Or how do you go about that? I think it's just... I think it's easier said than done to just say, let's move everybody to one place and play games behind closed doors. But you don't really realize the amount of people that go into one game, even players, staff, um, like the, the amount of people that are going into a game, you're, you're basically having a gathering of at least 200 people every time, you know, and, and you could say you can try to minimize that. You have a referee, you have three linesmen, you have the fourth official, you have, full team staffs. I just think it's a really tough ask to try to get anybody anywhere in the world at this moment to do that. Yeah. That, 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 that whole, the whole like MLB thing that they released that kind of put in stark contrast, like how difficult it is just going to have to be able to make this happen. If, if you're going to yep. do it, I mean, you're, you're absolutely going to have to wait. I think at least until like June, probably if you think about even factoring in, players coming back having to get like get back up to speed on training like i, I was watching a video of david louise today and his workout was literally him jumping off of his chair onto his ping pong table and then jumping off again so like, right. you know these guys aren't these guys aren't going to be in tip-top shape or even like i'm sure the first training session is going to be a disaster in terms of just even connecting with players again and so. if you ask players to jump out and go play right away off of that i mean especially you're not going to have a long break going into next season the amount of injuries we're going to see in the next 12 months would be insane if they did that oh yeah for sure and then to put on top of that the, the fact that contracts are coming up if you're trying to like offload them after we'll figure out whatever we're going to do with the transfer window and what that looks like but our players really going to want to play i don't know however how many games is left if it's going to be kind of just a not sham, essentially, but not exactly the same atmosphere or, con or circumstances that a normal season we played in in risk injury. Like, is Abba going to want to do that if he's got a possible move to, to uh, Barcelona lined up or something like that? It's it's an interesting question. What do you think, Ted? Um, yeah, I think it's a tough one. I think Belgium doing what Belgium did has set some precedent um, for... I guess the way I look at the Liverpool fans, for, yes. say. <laughs> no, no bias involved here. No, no. But without any bias, you look at it, if enough people, enough leagues start making the same decisions about, you know what, enough's enough, it isn't, it isn't going to happen. 
know, looking at this social distancing being until middle of May, whatever it may be. Um, it isn't going to happen. If enough people just start making decisions, you know, eventually you get in away from the hodgepodge and towards just, uh, well, this is just the way it is. This is who's going to be in Champions League, who's who isn't. You know, obviously, as we've kind of alluded to before, the difficulty is more put on the bottom end of the of the league more so than it is on the top end. At least, right. in, at least in top flights. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, you look at some of them and I think, you know, the behind closed doors aspect is, is uh, again, I think you alluded to, you're still going to have people in the, in the stadium. You know, it's right. going to be less people. Um, you know, maybe it's, it's less fans with only certain sections or I'm not, I'm not even sure. I'm not more intelligent enough to figure that out, but, no, I do think UEFA is extending things to allow teams to finish seasons. Um, that obviously will benefit, um, you know, seeing seasons get finished. Yeah, and then there's the whole, the whole broad like the broadcasting uh, payments and all that. How do we work that out? Because teams are worried they're not going to get paid. I saw, I saw the Premier League is paying like advance money from like winnings, but that's probably not going to keep a lot of these guys afloat, which has been pretty clear this week because some of the, some of the teams are having, are already struggling and then they're, they're going about their own way of, for example, Tottenham have decided to lay off or furlough their employees. Um, Liverpool did say that. And then they actually, but they were going to pay the hundred percent of their salary, but then they actually turned around and, and actually just said, they'll figure out another way to do it after getting some backlash. Uh, did you did you see Tottenham Mourinho's co- the coach of Mourinho like he got all the players together or a couple of the players London together Park, and tried to right? hold a training session? <laughs> yeah, tried to hold a training yeah. session. Immediately got immediately got like shouted down, and now it's like terrible publicity. And then who like they all got reprimanded pretty hard. The good thing for Mourinho is that, he doesn't need a ton of space to run a training session. You can just get him to park the bus on a <laughs> tiny little field, and they're all good. That's right. <laughs> yeah, just stand there yeah. and move around in one straight yeah. line. Um, and then the other, and then what else is, oh, Daniel Levy, the Tottenham uh, chairman, said he was going to take the, after laying off the grounds crew staff, he was going to actually have them come back and work on his estate for pay instead. And it's just like, then, dude, what the hell are you guys doing over there? <laughs> just a big club mentality, you know? For sure. Killing it. Um, what do you think, Garbs? Like, what do you think is going to happen with, um, like the next year's season? I mean, I think, and the, I, I think it all just depends on what they end up doing for this season. Like, if they try to get this one in, are we going to go December start for Christmas time, like holiday festive time start for the next season? Because if you roll right one right into the other, like what you were saying, you have all these guys that contracts are up this year and you have, it's, it's going to be a tough process. There's going to be some teams, especially on the smaller level that lose players to big clubs and don't have time to replenish. And maybe it's a great time to be in a youth system. I'm not sure, but I, I, I think everything for next season depends on how we finish up this one. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, there's been so many models being bandied about in terms of shortened season or play a start in the winter and play through the summer again and then kind of reset everything when the Winter World Cup comes about. But then people are like, well, how do you get back to the normal season? 
So that'll be that'll be super interesting. I don't know. It's just it's just a complete mess. And obviously, football's not the only sport dealing with right. this right now. Everyone's just kind of like in a holding pattern. So I, I think the, the thing is, like, I, football. I think it's so much more complex than American sports because in American sports, it's year to year. Whereas in football, there's implications with relegation and promotion. Also things like Europe, like where you finish matters. Um, Whereas in American sports, we kind of years over years over outside of draft position. It doesn't really do much. And I think that's the complexity of football. It's like, it's every where you finish matters for the following year, you know? And I think that's, it makes it so much more difficult versus like a, if an NFL gets shut down and gets, or the NBA gets shut down. Oh, well, it is what it is. And you go back out it next year. There's really no implication on where you finish going into the next year. True. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, you're right. I mean, outside of maybe those teams that are 17th to 10th, maybe they're not like, they don't really get affected if the season were just to be canceled right. in the premier, like, right. for example, but the bottom three are going to get knocked down or, or just if not, if it gets canceled and they just null the whole season, they'll remain in the premier league, which is a huge windfall for them yep. in terms of money. And then, then the way, the way the European places usually shake out, depending on who wins the cup competitions, which we don't, we think we probably won't. I mean, that doesn't look like they're going to be even like that. Like, I gone would imagine it's done. Point. So, yeah. Good so, thing City already got a trophy. Though, about the, that. the famous Carabao Cup. Yeah, I was going to say you, you're going to finish. Uh, you're going to finish the 2019-2020 season with the, the, trophy the largest finish. trophy haul in oh. England this year. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So, um, I, yeah, I just don't. And then you got all the implications of teams that have a game in hand or haven't played right. yet. So they like that. Sheffield United would overtake Manchester United, for example, if they right. won their game in hand and be in fourth place. So there's 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 games like in uh, in Spain the same way. I think Sociedad's in fourth, but you know they've got two games in hand. So if they won a couple of those, like they'd be even higher up the table. So it's all kind right. of a, a mess for sure. But anyway, there's no real probably good answer on that. So we'll just kind of yep. move on from there. I do want to talk. I do want to talk about. Um, what the players have done. So like this past week, Matt Hancock, who is essentially like the director of the health services over in the UK, was asked a question at a press conference about, excuse me, essentially about, yeah, you're fine. About Premier League footballers. And like, he came out with a statement, like saying they need to like do their part, take pay cuts and all this stuff without really like sitting down to think about it. And he, he got actually torn to shreds about the fact that one, the, one, the Premier League players make a ton of money, and from that money, they get taxed right. a higher amount. So all that money goes to, goes to the NHS. So if they're taking pay cuts, those taxes are actually lessening. I think people. Secondly, yeah, a lot of players. Have false, are, people ahead, have a yeah, false perception with athletes, and it's actually been. I work in sports, so it's been bothering me a lot lately. We we ask a ton of our athletes, and we don't ask a ton of the people who make all the money from them. Um, and if anybody knows how tax works, the, the thing you're taxed on the most is income. So athletes are taxed at a higher rate than almost anybody else that exists. And I think we just assume, oh, these guys are rich. You don't realize their career is, yes, they're, they're doing well, but their career isn't as long as somebody who's an investment banker or somebody else who's making money and will for the next 30 years. And 
these guys are usually guys that come from nothing and do a lot for the community anyway. So I think when we double down and ask them to do more in my, it doesn't feel right to me while you have the owners sitting back and like, look at Tottenham, the ownership is taking government money to help cover their, their expenses while you're asking the players to take this huge load on their shoulders. And, and the funny thing is the players usually do that on their own anyway. Um, but I, I think we demand a lot of our, our athletes in general, and I've noticed it across Europe, the soccer players are doing so much for their communities and we're still asking for more. And I think we kind of kind of check ourselves on that a little bit. Yeah. And I think that was a, a like a lot of the points, a lot of like international players specifically were making. It was like someone like Ozil, he, he, he donates a ton of money to, Germany and Turkey like communities because that's where he's from and grew up to those like under um, undercompensated or uh, demographics like so he, he sets up all kinds of charity and events and, and helps them out with money and stuff like that for the youth over there in, in around soccer so like someone like him and yeah he's making what probably 350,000 K a week in pounds but he's taking a lot of that money and like donating it to uh, to charity so I think that's where a lot of the players got kind of pissed off essentially so what they've done is they've come up with the players together initiative, which basically allows they're they're all getting together and they're pooling their money, but they're instead of like saying, Hey, you know, we're just gonna send this to somebody and hope for the best, they're like they're dedicating it directly to the NHS, it looks like, which I think is uh is pretty awesome. I guess McGuire, uh, Harry Maguire from United and, and Hendo from yep. Liverpool said that. Good up. initiative, good on them. Yep. For sure. I think this is kind of a good in like just the a lot of the the, the way that these athletes have been talking and coming out in the media, it, it, it kind of, like you said, people just think of these guys as like out here doing playing sport and like, that's what they do. And they go home and then like, they're not affected by anything, you know, outside of that. Like, even when you just talk about the MLB, like, Hey, we'll just send all of our baseball players to go hang out in a, in Phoenix for four and a half months and not see their families right. or anything like that. Like in what world, in what world would anyone agree to that? Just because of these billionaire owners like want sport, back on and they want their you know they want to get their seek their revenues but the players have been coming out in the media and they they've been actually talking pretty eloquently about it and and i think like you and i and and others were talking about like a lot of times you just should like people don't like listen to these guys but when you actually put them in front of the camera or just have like somebody like gary neville or whoever it is interviewing them arlo white does a good series like they actually come off like pretty well in tune with everything and actually probably a lot better than just like some people. Yeah. And I think that's, we did, we talked to, we were texting back and forth about this last night. I think the brilliance of the direction media is moving now is we do have a lot of former players or even current players. Like if you look at the NBA, you have JJ Redick who has a podcast and he gets guys on and they, they talk pretty openly with him in a way that lets us as the fans in, but it also, we get to learn about these guys a little bit more than your typical post-game press conference where the answers have to be to a certain standard for the club for whatever and and guys are a little more guarded and I think like you said Neville that soccer box show has kept me busy for two nights at least Um, there's an episode with Steven Gerrard and there's an episode with Thierry Henry and it's just like to hear these guys speaking just in a conversational tone instead of an interview tone is incredible and you you get to see how smart these guys are, the stuff that they're doing around the community, where they're from, what they're like. And I think it's brilliant the way media is moving to get us 
like it almost feels and I, I don't know about you but like with with city they do a lot of this stuff on their their applications so there's videos all the time and you actually get to the point where you feel like you know the guys that you're pulling for on the weekends and i think that connection brings us so much of a better product in the sport yeah absolutely i mean most people absorb their media now through their phones or their computers or whatever they're not outside of watching like live sports and like i I can't even actually there's maybe like four shows i watch on tv that's live uh and that's not actually probably pushing it because most of the stuff's dvr well most of the stuff we're getting sports specifically is most of the live content we watch on tv is sport i would say so the ability to have to go and go on other forms of social media twitter like Mendy, for example, at City, like he always engages well with fans and stuff. And right, he's, he's brilliant at it. Sometimes like he, too he brilliant. Might... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sometimes too crazy, but he might, for example, have a bad game or something, or he's had some instances where like he's been maybe not doing the greatest thing ever, but he still get, gets cut a lot of slack because he actually engages with the fans through through media, and he just seems like a pretty fun-loving dude in general, which is always a good for sure. Thing, so. I think like and I and like you said, podcasts like having athletes on those always opens them up to when other athletes interview other athletes. It's it's always a great thing. Is that is that soccer box? Is that new or has he been doing that for a while? Because that was the first time. Um, I've seen Ted it. actually told us he he had to sneak out for a minute. He'll be back, but Ted Ted told us that there's a couple more of those. So I'm hoping. And if you guys are listening, NBC Sports on YouTube has released the episodes. They've been playing them on TV some too. But they're they're on YouTube, and I checked out the Thierry Henry one last night, and it was just so cool seeing him and Neville sit there and talk about the battles and what they were thinking during games, and and a lot of times like they weren't thinking any way like that we would have expected, you know, and just to hear that athlete perspective in a conversational tone, like where it's there's no judgment, there's no ramification of what you're gonna say getting ripped apart by the media. It's just like a guy to guy kind of thing and it's it's brilliant to listen to it's brilliant to watch and also to see the quality of the game where it was and where it is now and you can kind of I, I found that intriguing with the Thierry Henry one um, just seeing the differences and the changes in the game not all for good but just being able to see that and listen to it conversationally is is awesome yeah I actually I've Specifically with NBC Sports, I think their soccer coverage is pretty much unrivaled to anyone. I mean, I would I would do ESPN's World Cup shows like when their setups were like 2014, yep. 2010. Like, yep. They were amazing. I that stayed was, up all night watching them. I didn't but, care like, if I'd already you, seen it. I was watching it the oh, second yeah. time. Yeah, you'd have like Balak and all those guys yep. on there. Like it was just great. And but then you, then like you compare it to someone like what Fox Fox Sports did, and like it's just night and day. But NBC Sports great because you have. The two Robbie, so Robbie Earl and Robbie Musto both do have podcasts, and they have all kinds of people on there, like from from yep. sport on there to interview. They have their own tactical analysis. You've got Kyle, uh, Kyle Martino, who's great. But then on their big games, they always have Lee Dixon and Graham Sunis on there, uh, not Graham Sunis, Graham Lasso. and they do like such a pretty, like really good job of just breaking down the game, and they're just really good um, in terms of like actually. Like like you said, saying things about like you things you wouldn't right. think as a fan you'd be you'd be like like the about. type of analysis that you look for. Like they're gonna point out things that we didn't see and they're gonna make them relatable to us. Like even if I'm not 
Like I'm, I'm, I wouldn't consider myself on the high end of understanding things formationally and technically, tactically, as well as somebody who played the game at a high level or coaches the game at a high level. And they kind of make it to where it's, it's comfortable and you can take it in. It's never, it's never off-putting where it's too much info. They do a really good job with that. And I think Rebecca Lowe is the greatest host that's ever existed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, just from just the, the 30 minutes I've been doing this, I can tell hosting is a hard, a hard job or just like even trying to direct traffic. So, and she does so. They also, it, they, so they've been I feel like really, really good, good during this quarantine with, with content. Um, Oh, every been, night if you awesome. jump on and if you jump on YouTube, they've put up a, a new video of a classic match or or highlights or this or that. Like they've been they've been doing more than their part to keep us involved. Yeah, and I I, I thank every day that we got them instead of Fox Sports yes. for the Premier League for sure. Although the Sunday Fox Soccer thirty minute recap show was my childhood, so that uh. Do you remember that show? It would come on like uh, whatever your local Fox was. It yeah. would come on your local Fox Sports, and it was always either late Sunday yep. night or early in the morning. And you'd get that thirty-minute recap of everything Premier League from the weekend. And it was literally, I looked forward to that show every week. Yeah, it was. It was like those kind of shows where you had like thirty to yep. to an hour, thirty minutes to an hour of just pure highlights. Were just the, essentially essentially the American version yes. of match of the day back. Back in the day, um, <laughs> yeah. So you could fill us now, in on that. Yeah, Soccerbox is uh, it's run through Sky Sports in the UK, and uh, you know, there's I've seen probably fifteen plus different. Um, Robert Perez is one is uh, is very good. Um, Michael Owens, I think, had you not heard, you know, some of the stories after when the book came out it would have been quite enlightening, but because he goes into a little bit of some of the things he talks about during the book, but um, I'm hoping that becomes uh, a little more apparent through the NBC portal because they're doing a really good job of, like, I think I heard you say, pushing content to kind of whet the appetite for whenever it comes back. Um, but, you know, I think they do do a good, good job. I think, uh, you know, Rebecca Lowe is a very good host who's, you know, got enough nous about the game, but also kind of directs directs the questions and lets the uh, the experts the two Robbies have done a great job of branding themselves in that regard and uh, I think do a good job of being um, I think they aim themselves well at the American audience in the way that they uh, they attack um, questions and, and topics and aren't afraid to kind of disagree as well which I think is a, a refreshing uh, refreshing take and when you when you watch games like, do you do you watch it from a tactical standpoint, or do you watch it just like as a fan? Do you kind of like turn that part of your brain off, or is it pretty um, much impossible? I think it's pretty hard to turn it off. I mean, you're looking at things, and you know, you look at you know personnel, and you're like, well, you know, he's going to play that position very differently to to him, so maybe this is a better choice for this game. I think it's it's hard to turn it off, but I think probably the most I turn it off is when you're watching it. You know, watching a Liverpool game, or you know, as you talked about earlier with you know, the World Cups, you know, and, uh, whenever England's playing, you know, you kind of get caught up in in that and less about um, the tactical kind of battle. But you know, I think we all kind of armchair quarterback a lot of it these days with the amount of content that is there tactically at your fingertips as well. But 
Um, that's it's a hard thing to probably turn off completely, but you know I do think there's certain cases where you're just watching it because it's it's football and it's the best game in the world and it's what you do, you know. Yeah, yeah, I hear. You. All right, well, let's take a couple minutes breaks and then we'll just we'll jump into the second half of this right after that. All right, we're back with the second half of the top four podcast. Um, we're going to continue talking a little bit about more of our personal, uh, personal favorites, things about like the sport, our club, who we, what players we kind of are drawn to. I know Garbs has basically put together some questions for us. All right, so we'll start. That we'll start with right one now. that I think of all the time. Um, player that you hate the most, but would love to have on your team. And if you want, I'll go ahead. I'll I'll give my answer there. And I think I think my answer yeah, gotta... is more of a prisoner of the moment answer because of the state of my the center backs of my club. Um, and I think I'd have to go Ramos. And it's like I have a deep hatred for him. A little bit of a <laughs> respect in some sorts. Respect. Um, I know. I know Ted probably doesn't feel too great about him after what he did to Salah in the first Champions League final, but I think if I could pair him with Fernandinho, that things would be much better than they are with a uh, John Stones or an Otamendi, who we all know next to Dejan Lovren is just a disaster waiting to happen. So it's, that, I mean, that's a great answer. Are we oh, talking you can like go. You can go at any time period. period that's what I'm saying. Like I'm a prisoner of the moment play. right now because I'm just thinking like, like all time. Okay. I can't think of an all time, but my second pick would have definitely been Diego Costa, just because I got to see him live at the Wanda against your squad in the Europa League semifinal, and the guy is just, yeah, I was well, at that game. You were at that and game. He scored the only oh, goal in the game. And just how much his fan base loved him was so weird to see because I'm just so used to watching him through the hate, through the lens of hatred, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, for sure. So in, in like almost a direct comparison to that, mine would be Didier Drogba because he, one, he was like an absolute – like specimen of an athlete, just a massive human being, but he would go down all the freaking time. He would literally, like, he just acted crazy. Like, just his histronics were just ridiculous. Like, he'd be falling down all over the place. He'd be diving for a guy of his size, but he was also so freaking good. He would just bulldoze through defenses, specifically Arsenal. Like, I think he scored like twenty goals against us. But if like he was on Arsenal, like he would have been amazing. He's kind of like what Adebayor could have been. But never really got to there. But he was, and he was a late bloomer, really, too. But Drogba for sure. Like, I hated him, but if he was on my yep. team, I would have fucking loved him. He was great. Uh, for me, it's Roy Keane. Yeah, Roy, Good Roy, choice. Keane, all, Roy Keane all day. Um, I mean, he's one, if he's on your team, I think you have moments in training where you also hate him. But you also realize when it comes to Saturdays, three o'clock, you know, there's no one more bought into whatever that plan is the team has than he and I think that's the sort of kid 
you want to play with and you probably hate to play against. Um, and obviously, he had some battles over the year with Liverpool as well, which obviously, you know, don't endear him greatly to me. But I think I respect him as a what he's done in the game and how he carried himself in terms of, you know, some of the stands he took against managers were somewhat kind of ahead of his time. Um, you know, as well to kind of stand by what he believed in. Do I believe? Did I back all of his decisions? No, but he's a man of his uh, of his principles, and I guess you have to kind of respect that to a point. He seems like such a miserable person, though, in general. Like when he's when during the world during the 2018 World Cup, when like Righty and them are celebrating, and he's just like he's just sitting there fuming that people are celebrating about like they're making them making it to a semifinal. It's just like I heard dude, just relax for that 20 soccer, seconds. The soccer box with uh with Thierry Henry, I, I thought it was brilliant when they were asking Neville asked him about the battles with Keane and Vieira. And he said that all anybody talked about was was how nasty they were with each other, but everybody forgot how brilliant they were as players. And I thought that was interesting. He was like, oh, everybody wanted to talk about the nastiness, the nastiness, but nobody realized that they were most of the time the best player in the park. Without a shadow of a doubt. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah, I mean, that there's... Yeah, those two teams when they went up for it in the heyday were just absolute battles. All right, we'll pop. So, for sure. All right, we'll pop into the for second sure. question. This one this one I liked because it's – everybody always has that guy on their squad. It's the favorite non-superstar from the club that you support. And it's it's easy. Like if, if a City fan told me Aguero was their favorite player, I understand, or De Bruyne of, or – any of those kind of guys. But like when I look back at when I loved, when I really was full fledged getting into city, it's a name you wouldn't think Gareth Barry was my favorite player to watch. Turned up like ultimate professional turned up every weekend was going to give a hundred percent was going to come in nasty with some challenges, brought that physical mindset to that team along with De Jong, but a brilliant guy, one of the most storied careers in England that people really never talk about. And that's that's kind of my guy for non-superstar. I mean, you could go with a Zabaleta, but I I prefer I don't know why, but my first my first kit that I ever had, the first city kit was a Gareth Barry home kit. Which is which is which is which is yeah. which is men which is absolutely men. Is it really? That's well, awesome. Yeah, I know. And like, like I would turn, I would turn up at the bar in Boston, <laughs> and people would just look at me in the back of my jersey, and they'd be like, "Are you kidding me?" And I'd be like, "What? <laughs> like, I don't see the issue." <laughs> that's fine. That was like you still had like Marie Rabinia, like you had all. Those oh guys yeah, back I could have picked the David Silva. I could have picked the Yaya awesome. Torre. There were there were plenty of guys to choose from. Tevez. Could have picked any of the lot, but for some reason, Barry was my guy. I love it. I'm actually currently wearing, um, I think this is the 2005-2006 <laughs> long sleeve version of the Gilberto jersey. But, uh, which who, who I, I love, like Gilberto, I was, when I played when I was younger, when I was living overseas, I was defensive midfielder, so he was awesome. But I, um, I still think overall like since watching Arsenal like my favorite non-superstar has been Bakri Sonia he's just true professional um just always gave you seven out of ten eight out of ten consistently like probably he was I think he was named best right back in the league like 
two years in a row, maybe, um, or at least two out of three years, just consistently solid as a defender. Like you always, he's probably like first name on the team sheet. And, and, a, and a haircut. Yeah. It doesn't, um, doesn't do anything to stand really, out from the crowd. Does he, you know, always. Um, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> very unassuming. <laughs> the only, yeah. The only game he ever did anything like played terribly was when he cut his hair. There's some, some story about how like, he didn't get to go to the hairdresser in time and his girlfriend like couldn't do the, the extension. So he played without it and like, he just played awful. So he was definitely one of those guys, but he was awesome. He, 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 he won the first trophy in nine, 10 years. He was on that team that won the FA cup final against Hull. And there's a great picture I actually posted on my Instagram of Wenger. Like he's kneeling, praying and Wenger's like kissing him after that they won the game. It's, it's just awesome. It's, you should look it up if you can't, but one of my favorite pictures just of all time but anyway like he's just definitely he's like the perfect example of somebody who's not a superstar but every every day yeah, I mean, for loves. me it's uh it's a close run thing i mean in any liverpool fans of the past you know two two seasons or so it's you're looking at probably james milner without even thinking about it twice but you know going back a little bit further um i think dirt cout was one for me that was just you know you didn't know him as a person but you looked at him and you're like he sound there's nothing wrong with Dirk. He works hard. He runs. He plays anywhere. He takes penalties. He scores big goals. He makes big tackles. He gets kicked in the face and gets on with it. Um, you know, in, in a team, you know, obviously there's a lot of Gerard Torres. You know, a lot of those big time players that were in that that team. Uh, the amount of big time goals that I think Cout uh, brought to the brought to the table. Um, you don't really hear anybody say a bad word about him either. Like, you don't hear any stories. He just kind of seems to be a Fairly unassuming. Pro, he was but... kind of that face for years that like just made me think of Liverpool. Like even though you had the big name players, like when you turned on a game, that was the guy you like. He he always stood out to you, maybe because he wasn't the prettiest looking guy, but he he did everything for the team. Like I had a, I had ultimate respect for him. He's got a nose like a hockey player. I think that's probably why I liked him because he reminded me of hockey a little bit. <laughs> Huge. Yeah, he did. He scored some massive goals too for Liverpool over the years. Yeah, he's, he's just a he's a he was yeah. As much as sometimes I don't like Liverpool, he I never never had an issue with good old Dirk. Dirk. What? How do you Dirk? Different what, ways. What, what's his name? Dirk. How do you no, say that's his right. name? Kite. Uh, it's either Kalt or Kite. <laughs> isn't it? Well, uh, well, we all know what we're talking about. Under eighteen, we're all in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. Yeah. All right, last question I'll ask. Who in okay. football would you most like to sit down and have a dinner with, past or present? Now we talk. It doesn't have to be a player. It could be, it could be a manager. It could be now we anything. Talk, are we talking like for quality of football conversation? Or are we talking just for an epic evening of banter? What, what, what's, the, what's the connotation there? I think you can kind of take it as you want, right? Yeah, so – Exactly. So it's just like whatever you want, your, you know, if you want straight banter, like I think especially after the past, good, especially after the past week. Days. <laughs> right. He'd, he'd probably definitely show you a good time for sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, do whatever you want, man. Philosophical. What, like if you wanted to just get you know, like let's let's do one of these. on there. Like if we were talk about someone have a good a good meal with and have a good laugh. I think it would be hard pressed to beat. I go with Peter Crouch. I think 
especially lately. That's a good one. Especially lately with his foray into oh, podcasting, it's, and a, it's a little bit of a, an insight into he's he's got a bit about him. I would uh, I'd probably go Peter Crouch from his uh, a good a good night outside of things. Um, and in terms of just kind of philosophically or or football talk, um, you know, I think it's a tough one. I think I'd probably go with present. I'd go with. Uh, I think Eddie Howe would be intriguing. Um, wow, that's a really nice pick. Somebody who's young. Nice. Have you seen some of the injury. YouTube stuff? Yeah. Have yeah. you seen some of the YouTube stuff from them that they've put out? It's brilliant. The stuff out in like, this Malaga spring training out there. I think it was at La Manga, maybe. Yep. Yeah, some good sessions. I mean, he doesn't seem that's to a... lose his rag, seems to keep himself very level-headed. I mean, I think he's one that, you know, come into the game as a player, left early due to injury, going to coaching early, and now has a very much a modern approach to how he relates to the players. Um, and it's interesting because, I mean, Bournemouth are always you know, becoming a bit of an ever-presence um, in, in the Prem, which this year this year it may change. But, um, well, it's been, been unlucky too. done a good job. He's been on the wrong end of a couple of three-tours and some disallowed goals and some VAR stuff. But, you know, I think he's... Uh, if it doesn't work for him there, this won't be the uh, proverbial nail in the coffin, I don't think, for his uh, his career in the Premiership. I like those picks. I can I'll give mine if if we were going straight banter. I'll get. I just from just from the few years he was at uh, Mario Balotelli's got to be top Ooh. for me, like. I I'll never I'll never forget waking up and reading the <laughs> night he set fireworks off inside his own house and got the fire department called, um and it's just like I still follow him on Instagram and it's just it's comical. It hasn't stopped. like every moment of every day for him has to have some kind of banter in it, and whatever I think the guy's brilliant. And if we're going strictly sit down, I God I'm so biased right now. I, I would have to say Pep, and that's like what I do for a living. I coach in a different sport, but I feel like getting to sit down with him and and pick his brain for not not just the way he runs the club, but the way the way he's thinking, why he's thinking, what he's thinking, when he is. I again, it's biased, but I I feel like the amount of knowledge that that guy I could take from him would just be ridiculous. Yeah, I, pur- I purposefully didn't didn't pick Kloppo because I, I picked Klopp for, for both. Sure. To be fair, I think you could can, you could encompass the banter and and the uh, and the knowledge in <laughs> one fell swoop there. But I, I felt that was the easy way out, so I went outside the box. But uh, you know, Pep's a decent choice. But listen, where, where are we going? Are we got did you pick obviously Unai Emery for just for both? He looks like he'd be a banterful human. <laughs> <laughs> Unai, Unai for both. For the night He'd out, be a real fun guy to have a night <laughs> out with. The, the philosophical part of football. Seltzers all around. Oh my god, I'd freaking kill myself. I actually, I actually, I'm <laughs> sorry, guys. Think of thinking, thinking about it. Like for for banter, yeah. I actually was gonna choose Klopp because I think he would be. You know, you get kind of both. You get both, and he just seems like a really good dude. And he just he's always like laughing. He's also he's definitely like sneaky. A terrible loser, which would be like just fun to like. I feel like if you could just like make like poke at him and make fun at him, 
Like he'd be really good at banter, but if you got him pretty good, it might you might go off. So that'd be pretty fun. But obviously, I think like philosophical wise, like my number one would always be Wenger. I think even if anytime you would like listen to any of his press conferences, if they they would like ask him opinions on like just random things going on, and he would like give like the most like well thought out spoken answer, like right on the spot, and you're just like this dude definitely has thought of a lot of like a lot of these issues. He's kind of like somewhat in like all these coaches have, I think, I think Klopp has a lot of that too. Like that whole video came and coming out about him being when they asked him about coronavirus and he was like, why are you asking a football manager about coronavirus? But they would ask Wenger about like philosophical things. And he always had really great answers. And he just seems like he's like a really interesting person to talk to. And just kind of always for me has been like kind of like the standard for being able to like switch gears and talk about other things outside of football and, yeah, I mean, obviously we love the man. I might, the club, I might so want to change my answer, answer. Oh, because Ted's made me feel bad. Backtrack. <laughs> Ted made me feel bad. I actually think, and I've mentioned this multiple times in the group, as much as I can't stand him, I think he's just such a necessary evil in football, and I think he's brilliant for that reason. I might want to have a dinner with Mourinho. Maybe just, maybe just an espresso. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's fair i i don't know if you saw the picture of him the other day he was out like doing a good deed in the community and he just looked miserable just looked absolutely miserable and it's like <laughs> this guy like hey I, I just i feel like if you spend an hour with him all you would do is belittle you to the point that you felt like you shouldn't exist anymore and i i don't know why i think that i'd find that entertaining <laughs> Oh, I mean, yeah. If if we're gonna fast forward the Mourinho like uh, timeline, three after on hour three, you would be like, he'd be throwing and in he'd the be bus making in phone whatever calls situation you guys already. are in, and you'd be you'd be completely screwed. <laughs> exactly. He's like, this this dinner absolutely sucks. Get somebody else in here. So, <laughs> but <laughs> um, anyway, I think that's probably a good spot to to end it. Um, we did pretty well here, so we'll we'll come back next week with some other topics. We're gonna have to um, come up with some interesting questions with football. Probably not come back anytime soon. Maybe we'll I'm get sure another Kyle Walker incident some this week, so we have something to talk in, about. In the future. My God, I 